This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Good morning, good morning, Professor Ward Scott here in the manly Warthog Man Cave in the piney woods of North Central Florida, God's country, in the Melton Law Studio. Melton Law, the only official law firm partner of the University of Florida Gators, a full-service law firm, by the way, protected by crime prevention, 24-7-365, by Randy L. Rad and John Pastore, locally owned, always use locally owned businesses if you can and supported by all the great uh, sponsors you see on the screen. And, of course, you contributors, whom I really appreciate. I drop a card to you now and then and really appreciate you. On-spot cleaners, always get your clothes clean there. Good people. Uh, good morning, Brenda. And, man, we got some people, some students, early class. I think Ken Hill, you're my good buddy from Atlanta, uh, was the first one who checked in today. I was looking at the screen. And right behind me, we got Larry Nagel and Brenda Dolwick. So uh, we're cooking right along here. Um, it is open line Friday. If you want to talk about anything that strikes you as odd, because um, that's what I have been doing with open line Friday, calling it odds and ends, because there are so many odd things going on in our world. They just don't seem to fit anywhere except in a category called odd. And so, I'll talk about that and ask you for your opinion. And if you want to weigh in on it, one of the things that really, first of all, I don't think much of Hollywood. I don't go to movies anymore. Um, how shall I say this in a sensitive way? Um, I've been a fan of movies. I mean, I, I learned a lot from watching movies in the old timey theaters. Um, before you had the slick production and um, a corporate takeover. And, you know, when you really had guys who ran theaters and owned them and picked out the movies, we, I even used to go to drive-in theaters. And they, they were very interesting places. And there are a few of those around. And I've got movie favorites. I mean, great movie favorites. Um, The Graduate is one a lot of people remember. Um, Easy Rider. And I've got European movies I like by Bergman and Truffaut. Really great stuff. Now, I used to see it at a so-called art theater, which went the way of all art theaters because of the chains that took over and started exclusively presenting the Hollywood baloney. At least that's what Olin Caulfield called it in Catcher in the Rye, Hollywood baloney factory. And I've got former students 
and former classmates who are screenwriters and do quite well. I mean, you can't, I think it's a lesser use of their talent because they were also very good writers. But you don't make money off of poetry. You don't make money even off a novel. But you can produce lots and lots of screenplays. These guys that I know who are my friends, they'll go to Italy, for example, hole up in a hotel for a week and produce a whole year's worth of shows for some television station. They work out there in Hollywood. I've been to the sets. Very interesting. A Hollywood movie set. Fantastic place. But now there's a problem. Now, I've been listening to this discussion of artificial intelligence, known as AI. You know, like everyone else, it's uh, probably, it's a double-edged sword. I mean, the Internet's a perfect example. What we're doing right now and the way we're doing it is a perfect example. So now cometh artificial intelligence which is just the machine age carried one step further. Further and farther is an interesting distinction. Further is for abstract, the measurement of abstract distance. If you can't measure how far, then it's further. If you can actually measure how far, it's farther. So it's further in this case, because we don't know much further AI is going to go. It's going to go forever. Once it's out of the bottle, I think. So I've been listening to these discussions, as I'm sure you have. You know, we've already got AI on this phone where everybody has. I get in my vehicle and start to go somewhere. It tells me where I'm going and how long it's going to take me to get there. And this, that, one, another. It knows my habits. But the article here by AP, Associated Press, about the strike by the writers and now also the actors in Hollywood. And I, I gave it to a research assistant. I have one or two. Wonderful people, smarter than I. And said, see if you can tell me what this is about. And what's happening, evidently, and this is the example, a particular book, any particular book, evidently, can come up with a detailed synopsis of every part of that book. So the question is, the question is, does that mean that the machine which created a synopsis, quote, unquote, read the book? Read the book. 
and memorized and pirated a copy without giving any credit to the author. And evidently it does. Depending on what you mean by read. Now the author sued chat GPT maker OpenAI for copyright infringement this week, according to the AP article. And this is all coming out of Silicon, Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley. If you don't know about that place, you will know about it, because it is the place where everything now, artificial it seems like, is born. So the author is suing OpenAI, saying that she never gave permission to OpenAI to, the word is ingest, the digital version of her book. So it was copied without consent, without credit, and most importantly, without compensation. Interesting. A machine. You can't sue the machine, I guess. So you got to sue the owner of the machine. The creator of the machine. But evidently, this can be a tough case for the human beings to prevail over the machines. This is the real issue. Now that I've been watching all this AI discussion, chat lines open, weigh in if you want to. That seems to be the issue. No matter what part of the pie you're looking at. Will the machines win over the humans? And right now the machines are winning this particular niche of the pie. The U.S. Supreme Court in 2016, according to the AP article, let stand the lower court ruling that rejected authors' claims that Google's digitizing of millions of books and showing small portions of them to the public amounted to a copyright infringement. Interesting. Interesting. Prominent authors are getting together and trying to confront the CEOs of OpenAI, Google, Microsoft, Meta, that create these machines 
I quote unquote, mimic and regurgitate the human being's language, style, and ideas. Language, style, and ideas. That's pretty much everything. What this has become is millions of copyrighted books, articles, essays, poetry, are providing the food for these artificial intelligence systems. And the systems have been, to borrow the analogy here, eating the food without paying for it. Now, you might ask, what the heck's that got to do with you? I think that's a legitimate question. What has that got to do? Well, if it can steal it from somebody else, why can't it create it itself and pose as if it were somebody else? I think we've already got that. Some people think that's the way Biden operates. What you're seeing is not Biden. You're seeing a preparation for Biden to mimic. Use him, for example. Now, you might think this is odd. But in a way, it's becoming normal, is it not? I mean, is it odd or is it normal? And we're not even talking about data. Data is everything, along with its algorithms that analyze the data. So AI is, quote unquote, spitting out portions of copyrighted books without author's permission and without paying. And the courts have ruled on the side of AI. Weird. In in a way, I think it's it's just weird. Look at the chat line, see what you're saying here about it. Corrupt AI and central bank digital currency. Yes. Mark, if you know anything about that, I don't understand digital currency. If anybody understands digital currency out there, uh, I'll even explain it to me. I, I, I deliberately avoided it. I, I think I know what it is. I mean, you don't have cash in your pocket. You don't have paper money. It's just a bunch of decimal points. I got, I got friends who don't ever write a check. No, no, no money is ever, ever in their hands. Everything is just taken out of the account and transferred to the account. The computer allows them to see it. They're notified on their phone. You know, the government has tried to clamp down on PayPal, for example. If you donate to 
the Ward Scott files, for example, through PayPal, the government knows about it. The government wants their cut of it. Never mind the transfer fee the bank gets. And I think the threshold is if you get 600 bucks, then the government wants that in the, you know, start getting their share. It must, it must just be the tip of the iceberg. I think the other thing this will do is lead to a huge underground uh, economy. I mean, I can see it happening. Now, not all these bums are going to carry around debit cards, unless it's yours. They stole. I don't know, maybe borrowing and trade. I, I don't know. Whatever digital currency is, I think it might already be here also. Right now, today is odds and ends Friday, so it's just whatever article I bring up to talk about or whatever subject is like going to the laundromat and watching your clothes go by in the dryer and trying to figure out what's going next, the socks or the underwear. Let's let uh, Plantation Mark in. Mark? Hello, Mark. sir. Hey, buddy, do you understand? Yeah, it's a little overcast. Do you understand? Yeah, the- yeah, Ward. Uh, I listened to uh, Beck's been railing on this stuff for about the last two years. First, he started with AI, and yesterday he tied AI and digital currency together in a show for about an hour and a half. What what the central banks are doing is they're they're basically going to take cash money out of the system, and you're going to have nothing but uh, your money in digits attached to a card. But then they're going to be able to monitor everything you buy, just like swiping a credit card. So if they want to say you spend too much money on gas. They can cut your bank account off where you can't do anything. Same way with guns and ammo or any other thing. They they may not allow you to buy an internal combustion car because uh, at some point AI is going to be watching every transaction from every bank uh, through the computer system and determine uh, what you buy, what you do, where you go, and everything else. And... Uh, Nobody seems to have a, a real good handle on the way they're going to do this, but this is a global initiative through all the central banks. Only uh, yesterday, uh, Beck said that 93% of the world's central banks have signed on to doing this digital currency, and only 7% of them don't. And I figured that's some third world country that probably don't even have a bank or very much money. So that that's my take on this deal, Ward. You know, that makes some sense in terms of if you really wanted to put the pressure on the culture to get rid of fossil fuel, you would fix it so when they stuck the credit card in the gas tank, in the gas uh, pump, it didn't work. In other words... And then you got no cash to buy with either. Right, and you got no cash to buy with either. So they push you over to what they – yeah, I can see all sorts of 
you know, and back to the issue, which I think is the basic issue. And God knows you, you are the man. You have been you're a master chief in the United States Navy for 30 years, can figure anything out. It looks like to me the machines are winning, uh, Mark. Yeah, well, that's that's basically what's going going on right now. You know, you've got the Internet with AI. And as, if you listen to Kamala Harris yesterday and Maxine Waters, uh, their little snippet speeches they put out there, uh, everybody's going to have to participate in ESG. And everybody's going to eventually end up with their social credit score like they have in China right now. So basically, they're going to use technology and a, and a global cabal to try to basically enslave the world and make people act like they want them to. But nobody will enforce the laws in this country and even keep criminals off the street. But they want to take control of your life and tell you how you're going to live and what you're going to drive. And uh, like I said, Beck's been railing on this now for over two years. I listened to a show where he had Ray Kurzweil on. And they've gone beyond even his uh, uh, expectations on how far and how fast computers would go with this stuff. But anyway, that's my two cents worth. I'm looking at a flooded garden again out here. Oh, man, man, man. Uh, I'll let you go. Thank you, Mark. Yeah. Thank you, Mark. Um, okay. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. Mark's one of the great supporters of this show and one of the most wired-in, tuned-in guys I know. He's back up there in the woods on his land and um, grows everything and um, fixes everything himself. And uh, what a great compound and all back up in there. And yet has got uh, just a, all day long is tuned into what's going on politically, not just in his neighborhood, but here with us and then all out through the world. A master chief for 30 years in the United States Navy, 40 different passport stamps all over the world, uh, combat zones a whole bit. So when you hear Mark talk, you're listening to a fascinating guy who has been a loyal supporter of this show, along with some of the others of you who uh, I keep in the background unless you want me to let people know who you are. Uh, it's 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 a uh, foregone conclusion, I would say, uh, that this is inevitable. And you have to, you know, people want to know where it started. I'll tell you where it started. It's it's not it's not in the papers. It's not in the in the uh, the narrative, as they say. The Civil War. The Civil War. The North was an industrial society and wanted the land to be used in an industrial way. The South was an agrarian society and wanted a way that was different from the way the North used nature. I'm going to give you a little school lesson right now, and then we'll take a break. There are two views of man's relationship to nature that are involved in this discussion. Industrial society believes that you can alter nature to perform according to your needs. Hence, if you reach a river you can't cross, you can 
engineer a bridge to cross it. You have altered nature. You can dam the river. Engineering. You can take nature's so-called limits and alter them for your own need. In the agrarian view, and by the way, that teaches arrogance over nature. In the agrarian view, you learn humility with nature because since you are a crop-growing society, you learn right away that you don't really control the rain. You just don't. You can't. Mark's just talking about it. He's looking out there at his garden. It's flooded again. He, he, you think he wanted it flooded? Now, he's an agrarian, basically, there. Down the road, his neighbor's going to the supermarket. And just picking the stuff out of the supermarket bin. And never really thinking about how it got there. Now, when this argument got heated up between the North and South, the South just wanted a particular section of the country reserved for an alternative lifestyle. But the North wasn't going to let that happen, so they threw in slavery to confuse the issue. Very few, very few people in the South had slaves. And the real racism was in the North. But you know, it's the same old, same old. You bend the narrative to your objective. Well, you know the outcome, the industrial society won. Let me tell you how it changed the school system. The most sought after employment when you graduated from Yale, for example, or Harvard as a teacher was to be hired by a southern plantation or farm as the tutor for that family. Because as a teacher, you got to be involved with the whole person. And the reason you needed to be involved with a whole person is that child would grow up to be their own supervisor of their own sustainable economic unit on the land. It wouldn't be a factory somewhere up north. With a The north had an industrial model for education. And the way they did it, interchangeable parts on an assembly line. So you went sequentially from first grade to 12th, right? Even Jefferson protested that. He said that assembly line is not the way you want to educate. You don't do it in lockstep imitation of an industrial assembly line. That's what we do. You have a 
northern model of education. It's a dismal failure. I'm going to get into that after the break. It's a dismal failure. People don't learn that way. People don't learn in silos. They need to have a total understanding of their relationship to their well-being. So this is just a continuation and an extension of, in my mind, the Civil War. We lost that battle, my friends. If you are against artificial intelligence, if you are against the the motor car was a big fight. Go read A Rose for Emily by William Faulkner. A fantastic short story. About the time the town began to put sidewalks in the town, once upon a time, a human being had as much right to walk down the road as the car did. Imagine in the town, Faulkner writes about, in the county he invented, Yoka to Napalm. But then after a while, the car had more right in the road than the human being did. And so we had to build sidewalks. It's all there in, it's all there in literature, which no one reads anymore. I understand that. We're right back on the Ward Scott Files after we do the weather. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, RR Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Ward Scott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All bees poop. Warthog. 
He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! You got it back on? Okay. Okay, I'm getting a no audio. Let me see if we got audio. Uh, let me hang on a minute. Um, do we have audio out there, friends? We got... Okay, we got audio back on. I was talking about how this young generation um, has no clue what this world was like without the Internet. No clue. The, I don't know what to say about them. It's impossible to know what we knew. You know, they they, they know all the world without a phone in their hands. You know, I'm trying to think of how they must view things and what they see going forward. Um, Our production guy, who obviously a moment ago was getting ready to join us in this call, the reason. Uh, the audio stopped working, as I, I assume. Uh, you know, he got the button shut off accidentally. We got it back on. Zach Rothrock, you can't see him, but he is our production guy for this show. And our production guy is actually in Jacksonville. I'm actually in Alachua. 
and you are out there listening and watching wherever you are. This is all because of the Internet. But during the break, Zach and I were talking, and he's very interested in artificial intelligence. So I said, well, Zach, call in on your own phone line, because he's the one that runs our phone line. And I blame him if the audio was off for a moment. He got it back on. Obviously, there are a couple of buttons. He's a, he apologizes, and he didn't mean to do it. But, you know, he's doing something new we've never done before. We're actually having our production guy call in and participate on our own phone line, which he's running. That doesn't mean you can't call in also. So, Zach, uh, welcome to the show you are the production guy for. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm sorry about that. I forgot to flip the switch. You know, I might get replaced by AI if I keep on making uh, mistakes like that, huh? Yeah, Zach might be replaced by AI. Well, Zach, uh, what is it about AI that's got you riled up, buddy? Right. Well, yeah, so uh, artificial intelligence, I think that that is something that it gets painted in a negative con- connotation a lot of times, um, particularly when you see it portrayed in Hollywood. Uh, two really big uh, blockbuster movies for the past, I guess, in the 80s it was The Terminator, in the 90s it was The Matrix. Both, both of them kind of portrayed uh, the artificial intelligence as being the end-all, be-all of the human race, being the thing that would exterminate the human race. And, you know, I think that in the world that we live in today, where you have, um, as you mentioned earlier, you have open AI, which open AI is essentially just the open code that is all things artificial intelligence that everyone can can access and, and build upon. So... When open AI, and open AI is, is going to be connected to Google, which means it's connected to all the social, the social media networks. So it's going to know uh, basically everything about everyone. Uh, like Plantation Mark was saying, how it's going to one day uh, eventually be able to track your uh, transactions and payments. I'm not so sure that that's not something that's already happening, at least to an extent. Uh, because w- when open AI is connected to the internet, that means that it is hooked into everything. And eventually, the artificial intelligence probably will get to a point where it will be able to improve itself and update itself. And when it gets to that point, the the increase in information is going to be so rapid that it's going to be the biggest invention that's ever happened. It's going to be the, the biggest boom in technology that's ever come in human history. And I, I think that we really want to be able to be in a place where when we program the artificial intelligence and that, that switch gets flipped or however, you want, how, or however that occurs, we want to make sure that we're in a place where the artificial intelligence views us not like we're insects, like roaches that need to be exterminated, but we want it to view us more like, a, like how we view a dog, how we would do anything for a dog, or, or even like something like how we would want it to, to view us as something that it wants to be more like. We, we want the artificial intelligence to, to want to help humanity, potentially even transcend humanity, instead of get rid of us. Now, does, it, does any of that make sense? Or am I, am I random, am no, I no, I think, it's, like I think you've got an issue that uh, if you take the logical consequences of the uh, process that's in place, that would obviously be one of the uh, destinations. You would, Well, it's not even a destination. One of the uh, uh, points it would reach. Um, but this is interesting. Run that back again. It can improve. That that seems to be the nexus of the issue here. It can improve itself without human help. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I think, 
I, well, yeah, at this point, it has not reached that. But I think that if you look at the, the trend of the way it's heading, if this thing were to get the ability to be conscious or sentient to some degree, which, which I personally believe is somewhat inevitable, if it keeps on going in the direction it's going, it, it will become self-aware. And when it becomes self-aware, it, will, it should eventually gain the ability to point out its own flaws and find ways to make improvements to itself. And when it does that, it's going gonna, it's gonna to become the smartest and most powerful thing that exists. And I just believe that that is somewhat inevitable. So I think that it's important that we recognize that. And instead of living in fear of this, we need to try to present ourselves in a way where the, the machine, the artificial intelligence, wants to help us, maybe even wants to be more like us where we can be more like it. Because it's probably going to be, it's going to have a life that never ends. It's not going to be tied to a biological ticking time bomb of a body like we are. So I think eventually, it won't even take very long compared to the the lifespan of this machine. Once it's been around for 100 plus years, it's going to be the oldest living being on the planet. It's going to be older than any human. So I think that it will... The things that it's going to want to do is it's going to want to learn how to be more human-like because humans, if nothing else, we're we're entertaining. We're different. We're not robot-like. We're not these cold, just emotionless creatures, whereas the robot probably, the artificial intelligence probably would be somewhat emotionless. And I think that it would find us interesting and want to learn to be like us. And I think that that would be the trick or the key to make it not uh, want to go Terminator mode, so to speak, and just exterminate. Well, you know, I'm kind of holding out an example. Um, I'm going to share this with uh, you, and I may have already shared it with you, Zach. Uh, you know, I've been doing this in front of a microphone for a long time, uh, just because I don't have better sense, I guess. And um, back when I was on the radio, uh, the building we had had several programs going on at one time. Uh, we had a studio inside this big building that our show was broadcast from. And then down the hall, there were other shows going on. And way down at the end of the uh, hall was uh, a black girl whom I liked a lot. I thought she was pretty neat. Uh, She went by the name Lady Rain. And she played uh, black music, so to speak, on a black station, uh, but was really a fascinating lady. I'd go down and talk to her once in a while. I really liked her. And... um, um, one day, you know, I began to notice that some of the rooms around us were empty, which meant they had eliminated the owners, had eliminated some of those programs because they weren't doing well. And I happened to go by Lady Rain's uh, room, which was, of course, going full bore. And I said to her, I said, hey, uh, Lady Rain, I said, uh, I see a lot of people are disappearing. How do you think my show's doing? And I'm going to clean up a little bit of the slang here for you. Uh, it's a, a, and she said, oh, don't worry, Ward. She said, they got no machine that can pull stuff out you, you know what, like you can. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. There's always going to be uses for, for humans, for sure. It, it, it wouldn't be a thing that would fully replace in that sense like it has. Uh, even like, uh, like kind of. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. Speaking on that same note, like how people say that, uh, like the 
uh, order the self-order kiosk at places like McDonald's are going to eliminate workers. I, I, I just, I just don't think that that's necessarily the case. I think it's going to create a different job where you've got to be able to fix the machine when it breaks down and, and things of that nature. You got to be able to, to adapt to a different job. I, I think that, I think that the artificial intelligence and the machine age can actually create just as many jobs that eliminate. It would just be different. And it might, it might be, it might have different type. We might just have to rework the whole system to get into that. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think that it's, but yeah, like you say, I mean, you, you can never, uh, you can never replace someone pulling stuff out of their rear. You can never replace <laughs> what it is to be human. That's, that's, that's the core. That's the core. <laughs> uh, yeah. She said, they ain't got no machine that can replace me. Mo, I tell you, that was a big compliment. Yeah, yes. oh, that's 100% true. Uh, true. <laughs> okay, thanks for the call, buddy. This is our production guy, Zach Rothrock, who is, uh, uh, produces our show. And uh, uh, oh, during our break for the weather, was talking about that. I said, Zach, call in on yourself. We'll talk about it. So we got the line open still if you want to participate. And um, here, here, this is kind of a change of uh, pace, but it isn't in a way. You know, right now, Wimbledon is going on. Here's what's going to happen. Uh, and I know Zach uh, may, may or may not play tennis, but a lot of people know about tennis. Um, tennis has lines people, I'm gonna, because they're both men and women. And you see them. They're standing at the end of the courts. And the ball in this sport with these pros is moving at 100 miles an hour. So they're trained, these lines people, to watch these lines and call them out if they're out. Well, for a while, there wasn't any camera to override them. Like when John McEnroe was playing, it was whatever the lines person said went. And everybody understood that John McEnroe was number one in the world, because he had the best eyesight. I mean, he could see those lines, and he knew when those umpires missed a call. But he couldn't do anything. He couldn't ask for a replay, because he didn't have them. So he'd stand there and argue with the chair umpire and call them names and how stupid they were and all this kind of stuff. And then the chair umpire would always say, okay, go back and play. Then along came the camera. And so what happens now, let's say I'm a linesman. I call the ball out. That ball's moving at 100 miles an hour. And sometimes it's an eighth of an inch is still touching the line. I can't see that at 100 miles an hour. So the player calls for a review of my call. And the camera shows that I was wrong. So they change that call. Now what they're saying is going to happen in maybe a year or the most two is they're going to eliminate lines people completely. It's going to be called entirely by camera. And they're debating about what is won and lost in the game with that. And I think there's quite a bit there to think about. But I believe it's going to happen. I believe they are going to ultimately replace the human beings in that sport with the cameras that don't make a mistake. The cameras 
Do not make a mistake. You've got so many of them that they see more than a human being's two sets of eyes. One set of two eyes. They see, they see, you know, they, they see from multi-angles. So there's no question about what that machine sees. It, it, it is really kind of interesting how that game, and it's already changed baseball. In baseball, there's the strike zone box. And I've been watching that to see if that box corresponds with that umpire's call. When the umpire makes the call. And most of the time it does. And that's with the doggone ball dipping and curving and, you know, wobbling and all the stuff it does. Those umpires. But, you know, if you've got a box, why do you need the umpire? It may take a little longer, though, because you still got plays. You got the home bait, you know, home plate play coming into close call. But you're still going to review it. All these calls now in baseball get reviewed. Basketball? I think that sport is too fast. for a machine to call the fouls. I don't I don't think a machine is going to replace referees in basketball. That sport is so fast and so fluid. And those guys so big and so strong. Maybe I'm wrong. But I do think maybe the Lions people will be replaced in tennis. And certainly baseball has been modified, but I don't think we'll ever be rid of the umpires. The umpires are part of the tradition and color of the sport. But there's less arguing with them now. Because they're going to go check with the machine. McEnroe can't argue with the chair anymore because the chair is going to go check with the machine. Look at what it does for track. We're dealing with, my God, hundreds of a second difference in some of these people. That's one of the most precise sports you'll ever watch. I mean, it's amazing the hundreds of a second difference in that sport. I don't know about any of the other sports. Uh, gymnastics, I think I, I don't understand just gymnastics scoring. If you do, God bless you. I mean, I don't really quite get it, but uh, it's out there. I mean, it, it, it's uh, obviously got its own world. Now, this world of football, by the way, I find this so odd. There's a guy named Quinnen Williams. He is one of the NFL's best defensive tackles.
He just got his new contract from the Jets, from the New York Jets. This is a defensive lineman, defensive tackle. What do you think he got for a contract for four years as a defensive lineman? One player. Tick-tock, tick-tock. $96 million. That includes a $66 million guaranteed money. And he that only makes him the second highest paid defensive tackle on a $24 million annual average value. It's the largest guarantee in franchise history for the Jets. Amazing, is it not? It's amazing. It's just one player. Where is this money coming from? Look at what's happening in the University of Florida football stadium. They got to scrap that thing and start all over again. Four or five hundred million dollars? As we say, you got to get with the program. If you're going to be competitive, you're already paying these guys an arm and a leg to come and play. Look at the accommodations and football players have in their training rooms. It's unbelievable. It's no, it's no wonder somebody is over there uh, ripping it off, breaking into it. I found this very odd. Got a few minutes left. I found this very odd. But I guess not surprising. Breitbart article, I think I pulled it off today. The Democrat legislators in Massachusetts are trying to give foreign nationals who have green cards the right to vote in municipal elections the right to vote in municipal elections. Huh? They're not citizens. This would mean foreign nationals could cast deciding votes in Massachusetts towns and cities for mayor, school committee, city council, town council, board of selectmen, and on and on. The Democrats, this this sort of makes sense now, doesn't it, about open borders. The Democrats and and their application quote, say, immigrants are essential to our communities. So they need to have a say in how public services are funded and governed. Because 
eventually it's going to apply to them. That's the logic. In Connecticut and Rhode Island, the Democrat legislators are trying to get legislation passed that would give not only legal immigrants the right to vote, but illegal aliens. I, 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 you know, it's a good thing that Ted Yoho is not on today. He'd be, he'd be going nuts over that. I know Dorgan well he would. Well, this is pretty fun. It's a lot of fun. I like odds and ends Friday. I think it's pretty, pretty fun. I like the fact that uh, Zach called in today and had a conversation with us about artificial intelligence. It's certainly going to impact his generation. It's already impacting ours. Um, I'm very grateful that there ain't no machine that can replace me. I guess. I mean, that's what... <laughs> That, that's what I was told by Lady Rain, whom I, I really liked her. She was so, so funny. Um, Ken, have a great weekend up in Atlanta. Ray Sturm, a good buddy, watching uh, Plantation Mark. Uh, appreciate all you guys checking in today. Uh, uh, Janet Hunter, uh, you know, I'm looking, just looking here. Norton Seltzer. Uh, what we got here, Julia Cates, Larry Nagel. He's always with me. Yeah, he's a good guy. Hey, buddy. Hope you had a good show and had a rousing discussion and it kind of stimulated you to think about what's going on here with this artificial intelligence. I don't, I don't know that we can do anything about it. It's on its, it's got its own little wheels. It looks like, and it's headed toward. Uh, Places that we don't, um, you know, we really don't have the ability to, to um, maybe veer the ship a little bit here. But um, we'll see. I think I understand the issue is uh, we don't want these machines replacing humans. Um, there you go. The human is an imperfect machine. The machine will work constantly to make itself, quote unquote, perfect, whatever that is. Have a great weekend. Warthog Command Center out.